You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. Do you remember this time last week? We just had the most amazing week of sunshine, which in Scotland is a once in a decade event. Uh, (laughs) That's not offensive to Scotland, it's the weather. (laughs) And so you remember, if you were here last Sunday morning, if you weren't, I apologize, but if you were, Margaret had this wonderful message and the title of her message was, uh, what was it, Margaret? It was praying for rain, looking for rain. Looking for rain. It's Margaret Bennett who's praying for rain. And then lo and behold, Sunday evening, what happens? It rains. So thanks, Margaret. <laughs> really appreciate that. I'm, I'm joking. It was nothing to do with these ladies at all. But isn't life just like that sometimes? Isn't life just like that sometimes? You, you have this wonderful week, but you know the rain's going to come. Life is like this. You have, you have mountain peaks and then you have valleys. You have ups and downs. You have highs and lows. You have peaks and you have troughs. And the thing is, mountains and valleys, isn't it true that often the valleys seem longer and deeper and darker? Uh, and the mountain peaks often seem shorter and fewer and further between. But even in the darkest valley, there there is comfort to be found. Are are you hearing me this morning? Because maybe that's where you are. Even in the darkest valley, there is comfort to be found. And even perhaps on the most exhilarating of peaks, we know, if we're honest, that there are going to be valleys to be traversed in between peaks and perhaps that means pain and difficulty to be endured as we go between the tops but today I want to encourage you I want to encourage you because there is better yet to come now if you're in the valley right now and you're thinking it'll never change Perhaps you've been in the valley for a while and you're thinking, this is, this is my lot, this is never going to change. I want to encourage you, there's better yet to come. But, but maybe right now you're feeling like you're flying, you're on the peak, you're like loving life, everything's going swimmingly, you think it's fantastic, surely life doesn't get any better than this. Well, I want to tell you, even now, there's better yet to come. Amen. Now recently, Jess and I were literally on top of a mountain, uh, and it was the highest mountain that we've ever climbed. It was higher than Ben Nevis, but I have to put in a caveat here, we went up by car. (laughs) And another caveat, I wasn't even driving the car, so I don't know if I can claim to have climbed that mountain at all, but it was absolutely incredible. We were having a great holiday in Norway. If you've ever been there, it's a fantastic, very expensive, but a fantastic country. This isn't written down in my preach, but guess how much a Kit Kat is, or their equivalent? Guess how much? £3.50, Eddie. £3.50. Shocker. Anyway, um, it's such a beautiful country. That we had to take two planes and then a two-hour car journey to get to where Simon, our friend, lived. And just that journey, that two-hour journey, we exhausted the use of words like awesome 
amazing, incredible, superb. And we were using them, I think Len would agree, in an appropriate context. Because when you look at these mountains, it stirs something of grandeur in your heart. You're like, wow. And we had used up our vocabulary before we even got to Simon's house. And then he led us into his house and we saw the view through his front room. And we're like, oh my word. On the way, we were thinking, surely it can't get any better than this. And then we looked through his window. Oh my word. Uh, And then the next day, we were at this... My clicker's not working. Do you mind uh, clicking on? There you go. The next day, we were at this place called Garanga. 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 And there's this beautiful hotel that we were sat in, like looking out over the fjord with this cruise ship. I mean, that's a massive cruise ship, so we're quite high up here. We were sipping Coca-Cola on this balcony in the sunshine, and we were thinking, surely it doesn't get any better than this. And then two F-35s, like I've never seen one in real life, but two of those brand new planes like roared over our heads, and then they tracked along the valley, and we saw it go around that corner at the end like that, and it was incredible. Incredible, and I was like, I've never seen this before. Surely it doesn't get any better than this. And then there were crystal clear turquoise, like waterfalls and rivers everywhere. It was stunning. Even a Canadian in our midst would have been happy in Norway with the scenery. And then if you go to the next one, these snow-capped peaks in the distance. And it was baking hot, and I got sunburned, and you're looking at snow, and you're like, this doesn't compute very well. And you're thinking, it doesn't get better than this. And then the next day we, we, we went out and Simon gave us a mystery tour. Jump onto the next one. There you go. And the beginning of this mystery tour, we entered into the valley. Okay. And Jess and I are looking at this valley. Oh my word. Surely it doesn't get any better than this. And Simon kept saying, just you wait. Just you wait. You've you've not seen anything yet. There's so much more ahead. And then let's have a look at the next one. So he took us on this boat tour. And that was like the pinnacle. I've never been on a thing as fast in all my life. It was incredible, the speed this boat was going. I I was going to put a picture up of Jess's face. If you like me on Facebook, you might see it. She's just like overjoyed with the sheer speed of this. It was a blissful moment. And we're like, surely it doesn't get better than this. And it kept getting better. It kept getting better. And I was so impressed with how creative God is that he can never exhaust his capacity to blow your mind. Whatever you've seen, there's better yet to come. So much more ahead. Uh, Flick on, that's perfect, thank you. But then there's that reality of going to the airport, you're coming home. You know that feeling? the end of the holiday feeling. It's not because I didn't want to come back to you guys. You know, I love you guys. Okay, but you just, you can't help it. You finish this incredible holiday. And part of me is like, Lord, just take me home now. Like, I just want to go to heaven. If if heaven's like, even a fraction of how beautiful this is, just take me home. And yet I came home to Boness, which is beautiful and I love it. But I'm like, there's that sinking feeling back to life, back to reality, back to normality. Have you been there? Because you know that inevitably there's challenges and there's stresses and possible tough times that that lie ahead. You've just come down 
from the mountain. Are you a how much better can it get person? Or are you a how much worse will it get person? Doesn't it depend on where you are? Doesn't it depend on your circumstances, your perspective? We've talked about that in this series a little bit. Doesn't it it depend on your position? Because if you're on the peak, if you're looking at the stunning views, you're going to be like, whoa, it doesn't get better than this. But then inevitably, in the darkness of the valley. Now, where are you this morning? That's a question for your heart. Consider it. Where are you this morning? And maybe you're at that peak, you're loving life, and you're thinking, how much better? Well, there's better yet to come. Or or maybe you're looking at everything going on around the world and in your life. How much worse? Uh, And actually, I think one thing that's marked the last two years has been the unprecedented use of the word unprecedented. (laughs) Like, everything seems to be unprecedented. We had an unprecedented pandemic with an unprecedented global lockdown. I mean, you've just lived through something that nobody else in history has lived through to that scale. Do you realize that? How unsettling that was. And we've lived through it. And, and then there's another virus out there that, that they keep, oh, be careful of the monkeypox kind of thing. And then on top of that, you've got unprecedented kind of politics. I mean, Trump. <laughs> But, but also you've got Brexit, you've got whatever you think about these things as well, it's, it kind of doesn't matter, but these are big shaking kind of things. Brexit, Bojo's exit, the, the leadership challenge, the, the coming referendum, all of these things can unsettle and make you think, how much worse is this going to get? And then you've got the climate crisis on top of that. It's just like unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented fires and earthquakes and record temperatures and floods and record rain. And my roof leaked the other day. And great. Thank you, Margaret, for praying for that rain again. <laughs> and we've got wars that threaten our security in a way that we haven't, most of us haven't experienced in our lifetimes. Uh, and then there's the energy crisis, the cost of living, and I, either we're, we're really panicked about the £2,000 that might be added to our bills from October, or maybe we do think they're going to go down, or whatever we think, but it's there, isn't it? Uh, and actually, this has the chance to affect all of us, and that's all the additional stuff. <laughs> that's all the stuff that we, we feel weighing down on top of life. You know, how do we keep our heads up when our hearts are down? When we're at our lowest point, low in heart, low in mind, low in spirit, low in energy, low in drive, you know, when life is pressing down on top of you, when you're feeling discouraged, distraught, or disenfranchised, like how do we lift our heads at that point? When we're battling with insecurity or loss of hope, how do we wrestle through that when facing failure? Failure in relationships, like failure in our marriages or with our children or our parents or, or failures in our community or, or, or failures of friendships, failures of trust within those relationships or, or perhaps in work or perhaps a failure of our expectations. I really hoped I'd be here by now in my life and I'm not. And what about when we're wrestling with sin? How do we lift our heads when our hearts are down. Well, I want you to remember there's better yet 
to come. You hear this? Wherever you are, in that spectrum on that list, there's better, there's better, there's better to come. It might be near, it might be afar off. I'm not going to make you any promises this morning that go home and say this and instantly you'll feel amazing. But there's always better yet to come. And particularly if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, then there is always better yet to come, however bleak it gets. That's how Corrie ten Boom, who was incarcerated in the German prison camp during the war, that's how she kept hope going, because she could see before her the better yet to come. And even in the darkest valley, there's still beauty to be found. It's where we learn to lean on Jesus, to trust. It's where we learn that he is faithful. We learn that in the valley. We learn that by leaning into him when we've got nothing else to lean into. So consider Jesus, the good shepherd. Think of Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Where does he lead us? Still waters, green pastures, and even in the darkest valley, his rod and his staff are comfort to us. Even in the valley. And even in the valley, he prepares a place for us. That's now and up ahead. He leads me by still waters. But he is preparing a place for me. So what does all of this have to do with Philippians? And we're actually in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. If you've got your Bibles or you've got it on an electronic device, uh, go for that. So Philippians 2, 6 to 11. Now, we were here uh, three or four weeks back. Um, and I, So I've already said something of this, and, and I'll recap a little bit of that. But, but there's something else I believe God wants to draw out into the room today. So let's, let's have a look. Philippians 2. Uh, And we're just going to start with six to eight. So who, this is talking about Jesus, the, the logos, the word, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself, is what that's kind of saying, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross now the last time I spoke on this I gave a bit of context and detail particularly about these first couple of verses and I'm not going to recap on all of that now so if you do want to catch up with that grab our podcast uh, from a few weeks back But for now, in brief, this is what happened. Jesus stepped down right into the valley of our human existence and experience. He got involved. He, shoulders back, came in, rolled his sleeves up, right where we are, that's where he came to. He left behind any claim he had of spiritual wealth, of immunity to the effects of sin and sickness. He he gave up that, and he served. He served. You know, it's amazing. If you read the gospel accounts, you keep seeing these places where the people are saying uh, things like, we've never seen anything like this before. 
They're amazed. They're astounded. And I can, I can almost hear Jesus thinking, just you wait. Just you wait. We've never seen this. We're astonished. We've never seen anything. Nobody's ever done this or spoken like this before. Jesus is like, just you wait. He poured out, but not from earthly riches. Because he didn't have a home, and somebody else carried his money around for him, what, what he had of it. And, and so he didn't pour out of his earthly riches. He poured out of his own blood, of his own life. And you know what? He chose chose to do it. He, he chose the position of servanthood. He, he chose to identify with our griefs and our hurts and our fears. And you know, if Gethsemane was perhaps his lowest point where he, he's alone, he knows what's coming, the disciples keep falling asleep and abandoning him, but he chose to stay. He could have commanded legions of angels to come and minister to him and rescue him right there. But he chose to stay. He chose to free us from our bonds by taking them upon himself. Are you feeling free this morning? If you're a believer, you should be. That's not me telling you off because there are a million things that come in and Tell us lies about freedom or restrict freedom. But Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. For the joy set before him, this is Hebrews 12. He says, for the joy set before him, he chose the cross. He, He scorned the shamefulness of it. He ran into the very darkest depths, right into the grave. And then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, he rose again. And therefore, that's where we get to this next bit, verse nine, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place. This is such good news. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But he exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. What is the highest place? Exalted means to be elevated to the highest position, like above all others that could have any kind of position. Whatever you can think of, he's higher than that. He's he's higher than our greatest achievements. If if you think about the tower in Dubai, I can't, well, I did look it up, but I can't pronounce it, so I'm not going to try. But there's a tower in Dubai. It's like the tallest building in the world for now. Jesus is higher. Like conquering Everest. Jesus is higher. Like getting to the moon in 1969, Jesus is higher. The James Webb Telescope, goodness knows where it is in the cosmos right now. Jesus is higher. Like our greatest achievement that we could possibly put our finger on, Jesus has achieved higher and greater. He's higher than our dreams and our ambitions, even the things that are yet unfulfilled. And yet he's higher. Locations, houses, hobbies, hopes, careers, whatever it is that you're sitting here this morning thinking like, I really hope my life goes in this direction. Jesus is higher than that. Where's the greatest place that you can imagine? 
to be. Better yet. What's the greatest thing you think you could achieve? It's better yet. He's, he's higher than anything that Satan could offer him. You remember Margaret was talking about this a few weeks back, about the temptation where, where Satan came and tempted Jesus. And in Matthew 4, 8, it says, the devil took him up onto an exceedingly high mountain. That sounds quite high, because it's exceedingly, like Mr. Kipling's cakes, it's exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And then he said to him, all these things I will give to you. Come on, Satan, they're not yours. All of these things I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. But this is the thing about Satan. What he can offer us is an empty vessel. It's false hope. He's, he's the ultimate phone or email scammer. How many of you have had something like on the phone or a text or an email trying to scam you out of some cash? Go on, give me a show of hands. Why not? Oh my word, that's kind of like most of you there. That's what Satan does. He tries to trick you into trading your riches for his rust. That's what he wants to do. And we can so often, we can be so quick to trade away the better yet for the average immediate. Have you ever done that? I'm not a pleasure delayer. Like if I have something like a nice cream bun, I don't want to wait till Jess gets home before I pile into that. I don't want to delay that pleasure, I want it in my mouth, okay? In fact, Ron, bless him, last week we went to a wedding, uh, last thing I said to Ron, because we had to leave early, was there's a, there's a sweet thing over there, like a sweet cart or something like that. I said, Ron, get me some sweets. And now, Ron did, and, uh, and Leslie brought them to me the next day. Thank you, brother, I appreciate that. You know, they've been sat, actually, I, I found them last night, and I was like, yes, result, because I was packing my Sunday bag, and I'd left them in there from last week. Had I not forgotten about those sweets, I would have demolished them before the end of the service last week. I am not a pleasure delayer. How quick we trade. We'll ditch the far-off assurance for the present pernicious promise. How quick. But, but this is what God's exalting looks like because Satan offered to exalt Jesus but in a false, empty way. But this is what God does. In Daniel 7, it says this about Jesus. He was given authority glory and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed never be destroyed authority and dominion and power forever Nothing, no nation, no, no government can overthrow Jesus Christ and his government and his kingdom, ever. That's the highest place, higher than the highest authority or office, higher above all powers and positions and principalities. Think of the PM, the prime minister, Jesus is higher. First minister, <laughs> Jesus is higher. Like, POTUS, the President of the United States, Jesus is higher. And the national leader of the Apostolic Church UK, Jesus is higher. (laughs) And here we see a link, okay, get this, a link between the place or the position and the name. 
They're intrinsically linked together. The, the position or the office of Jesus Christ to the name of Jesus Christ. They are linked. What's in a name? Identity. Identity. You know, when you pray in Jesus' name, it's not about this little, like, yours sincerely at the end of a letter or yours faithfully or whatever. It's not that we just tag that on so that somehow our prayer has a bit more power. It's because we're calling on the very identity of Jesus as we pray, because we have the right to do that, because his spirit dwells within us. So when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not a throwaway statement at the back. Oh, I didn't pray properly because I didn't say in Jesus' name at the end. We do it standing in the name of Jesus. What's in the name? His identity. Now, you could probably tell me something about people by their name or their title that is synonymous with their identity. I mean, for an example, the queen, right? It's kind of a name, the queen, you know, your majesty, the queen, you know, but it's also her office as well. So uh, what's the most famous name in history? I've come up with you, chuck, chuck a couple at me. Any. Napoleon, great, famous for being short. <laughs> There's hope for me yet. Actually, he wasn't short, I don't think, but any others? Shackleton, famous for Antarctic exploration. Marvellous. Any others? Winston, he's on my list. Yeah, famous for being the best British person who ever existed. I'm joking. <laughs> and also for selling great car insurance. Um, Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, like Julius Caesar, Nero, big names in history. Interestingly, by the way, we call our pets Nero and Caesar. And we call our children Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, you know, there's, there's a bit of a difference there. What about more recently, Mother Teresa? Most of you will have heard of her, know her. Muhammad Ali, Steve Jobs. Like, maybe some of you don't know who Steve Jobs is, but he made, like, Apple. Um, not the Apple, I mean, apples. Uh, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, like, Mark Zuckerberg, who, who's the founder of Facebook. These are big names, but the name of Jesus is better yet. The name of Jesus is better. What's your favorite name? Is it your wife's name? Is it your husband's name? Is it your kid's name? Is it somebody that you look up to? What's your favorite name? I don't mean this disrespectfully. Jesus' name is better yet. Whatever name you can think of, his name is better yet because it's the name above all names. Now, it's such a great name. Verse 10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How great is his name? Every knee bow. Every tongue acknowledge, confess, proclaim. In heaven... And under heaven, every. What does every mean? Literally every. If you can think of a person, that knee will bow. That tongue will confess. Every, every, every. Forwards, backwards, in history, ahead, people who aren't born yet, every knee will bow before Jesus. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. What would every knee look like? If we all knelt now, that would be something to see, wouldn't it? What about if everyone in Bowness was to kneel all, all at the same time? Wouldn't that be something to, 
something of a spectacle. Like when you think about Prince Charles and at some point in the coming years, he's going to be coronated, I guess. Like, coroned? No, that's, that's a different thing. He, he's going to become king. And as he does that, in the service in Westminster Abbey, as that happens, people will kneel before him in reverence and respect because of the office. Even if they don't much like Charlie, they're going to kneel before him. What would it look like for every knee? What would it take for every knee to bow? Because better yet is coming. And what would every tongue sound like? I mean, the other night I stayed, thank you for the use of your caravan, I stayed up at B. Craig's all on my own because I'm a billy last Sunday night. I loved the storm, it was incredible. But before the storm arrived, there, there was, I could hear music, really loud music, and it's because the party in the palace was going on. That was loud. There were a lot of tongues speaking, singing there. That gave it some volume. What would every tongue sound like? And then we went to the, the tattoo on Thursday night, uh, and it was incredible, like all the bagpipes and the, the drums and all the other instruments and the singing. And then when people added their own voices, it was stirring. It was incredible. But imagine if every tongue was added to that noise. What would that sound like? There's better yet coming. Uh, and here's a really critical thing. Because you might be thinking this morning, well, I don't think I'm going to kneel. I, I, I don't think I'm going to confess that. Like, that doesn't sound like something I would do. The fact that Paul says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, it means there'll be no mistaking his coming. There won't be this, oh, is he over here? Or is that there's some guy in... Uh, San Antonio that says he's the Messiah, maybe, maybe it's him. No, every, everyone, everyone, skeptic or lifelong believer, everyone will know. They won't just see him coming and go, whoa, (laughs) they will know who he is. Everyone, everyone, everyone. So whether that is a joyful, you are Lord, you're here, or whether it's like, "Oh, oh, you are Lord, everyone will know who he is. There'll be no debate, no plausible deniability, there'll be no claim for fake news. It will be impossible to spin that yarn anymore. Universal, obvious, total shared experience. And some are going to confess with joyful admission, but some with regretful submission. But all will see and all will bow. In Revelation 1, uh, verses 7 and 8, it says, look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, we're going to mourn. It says all people. You might be thinking, what joy, you know, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart, we sing. And it's true, but I think there'll be a sorrow mingled in with it. There'll be a mourning mingled in with it. It will be like blown away by the winds of joy very, very rapidly. But we will mourn because we will know 
in a moment, looking upon his face, seeing the scars in his hands, in his feet, and in his side, we will know it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. There's going to be a measure of regret there, but it'll be joyfully swept away as we realize that because he's done that and clothed us in his righteousness, we don't fear the consequences of that because he has bought our freedom. I'll come back to that when I wrap up in a few minutes, but for for those who know him, okay, if you know Jesus, that morning is going to be turned into dancing very rapidly. Uh, But we'll also be staring at the end of sickness and suffering forever. That's going to be a good day. All this stuff that is ahead of us now, the wars, the the climate, the economy, the politics, all of this stuff that clamours for our attention will be washed away. And peace and joy and restoration complete. What a day. As he comes, what a beautiful day. A day that all creation is groaning for, waiting for. Paul compares it to a woman in labor, waiting to give birth. And like, I've got no ability to talk about what that would feel like, obviously. But I would imagine quite painful if you've had a baby here, like not comfortable. And I've heard about the contractions that kind of get closer together and more painful the closer you get to giving birth. But, but then what Paul is talking about is that joy when you see that child's face. The, the joy that replaces the memory of the pain. And that is what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. He is the expectant hope and joy of the church. The, the church is referred to as his bride. Like we're, we're, we're like a bride waiting in expectation for the groom to arrive. And the joy, the jubilation, the celebration when he walked into the room. But this isn't just news of distant expectation. I'm telling you about better yet, and I'm saying wherever you are in your life right now, there is better yet to come. But you don't have to just go, oh, well, like, my life sucks here and now, but at least one day it will get better. Because Jesus is our mountain peak now. He is our highest point, our highest aspiration. Jesus is already the better yet. He he isn't a consolation prize. He's not just some experience to be had like a holiday of a lifetime that, oh, well, that's over. You know, maybe you come to church and you're like, yes, yes, Jesus is alive and I feel so joyful. And then you get to lunch and you've burnt your roast chicken and like, oh, oh, well, it was nice this morning, but that's all over till next week. He, He isn't a distant hope and he isn't an unrealistic expectation. He suffered on our behalf, he chose the cross, he entered into the depths of our experience that he might break us free, that he might lead us in victory, that he might allow us the ability to walk in freedom now and eternally. He is where we are and where we are headed. He is life. He is healing. He is freedom 
Don't trade that in for the junk that Satan can offer. Don't trade it in for the junk that the world can offer. Don't trade Jesus for something that has no value. He has the highest value. And all Satan's got is lies and emptiness and decay. He wants to feed you the wrong food. He wants you to think the wrong thought patterns. He wants you to focus in the wrong areas, chase the wrong prize. That's what the enemy wants. Today, will you reject what the enemy attempts to allure us with in order to take a hold of what is better yet? Will you seek out and receive Jesus instead? Will you? Would you like to? How? Because it's all very well, but the reality of life bites, doesn't it? You know, tomorrow you might have a bill that you can't pay. A friend who lets you down. Somebody who spreads slander or whatever about you. You know, in your own minds, there are things that I haven't even thought of that you're worried about. That you think, well, yeah, but that's the reality of my life. Well, I want to encourage you to seek him now. Keep doing it and expect him tomorrow. And this is a process. Like Satan offers instant fixes. Jesus works a process. Sometimes he heals in the exact in that moment. But what he wants to do is transform your character, transform your hopes, transform everything about who you are, your personality, everything. He wants to bring in the so much better yet into your life. And so seek him for it, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. You know, when I expect visitors tomorrow, I prepare the house today. I might push the hoover around. Maybe Jess does. <laughs> I might make the beds. You know, I might think about what to put in the fridge. You know, there's a multitude of things that I'll do to prepare for the coming of the visitors. And so as I expect Jesus, like surely I'm going to do something in my house to prepare for him. How do I prepare? Well, it's about focus or perspective. So here are two things that you can practically do to prepare your heart for Jesus. And what you will find, like I love it when my house is clean, when my uh, floors are uh, uh, hoovered, where everything's neat and in its place. And I'm a messy guy, so it doesn't happen often. But I love it. I love, even if I'm waiting for guests to arrive, something changes in my head because I've already done some of that preparation work. It benefits me now. And so as we expect Jesus, as we look towards him, it does something now. It changes things now. So here's what you do. Number one, worship. I don't mean just turn up to church once a week. Like, I mean, learn to worship. Be worshipful from your heart when you're singing, when you're talking, when you're dreaming. Like when you're walking around, when you're working, when you're thinking, when you're driving. Worship from the heart, reverence, bowing down before Jesus. Because one day your knee will bow. One day your tongue will confess. And it's going to be so much more joyful and fulfilling if you do it now. It's all about worship. Worshiping Jesus. Worship leads our heads and our hearts towards that which we prize the highest. Maybe that's football for some people, that's what you prize the highest. It's empty. I, I mean, I like football, but it's empty. Maybe it's a career, but it's empty. Your, your career is only going to span up until 65, 70, whatever, and some of you are working older than that, 
well done, Derek. <laughs> you know, brilliant job there, sir. But, but at some point, we stop working. It's empty. Don't base your life on that. Don't worship that. Don't worship your house. Don't worship your money or your bank account. Don't even worship your, your wife or your husband. Yes, honor them. Love them. Be wonderful to them. Look for ways to honor Jesus through honoring them. Absolutely. But don't worship them. You worship Jesus. And as you worship Jesus, you'll become a better husband. You'll become a better wife. You'll become a better person. You'll be, become a better colleague. You'll become a freer person as you worship. It's all about worship. Knees bowing, tongues confessing. It's about worship, reverence. And then the second thing is service. Recognize that you need to love others. Worship is loving Jesus and putting him in the first place. Loving others, service is putting other people ahead of yourself. Recognize that you might be a part of the better yet for somebody else. You should be part of the better yet. For, for somebody else, that God is working in them and for them. That's you. If you're part of the church, you're part of Jesus' body on earth. He's the head. And he says, go, serve, love one another. And I'm going to bring this in now. It, it means that if we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, we, we find that we simply cannot watch or, or look to protect our own interests as other people struggle. It, it's simply not enough to look on in pity and empathy saying, I'll pray for you but actually not to act. Yes, prayer is our, our first and our most powerful tool, okay? But, but God has also armed us to act in practicalities. And, and sometimes the answer of the prayer you're praying is you. You're, you're praying for somebody who's like really wrestling with their finances. Maybe you're the answer. Maybe. I'm not saying just give money away willy-nilly, but take yourself before God and allow him to direct you as you pray. Uh, why not say, Lord, how would you like me to act? Why, why not say, Lord, would you resource me so that I may serve? Uh, and then whether it's with two low-value coins like the old woman or, or whether it's out of a, an abundance that he has bestowed upon you, let's act with all care and sincerity towards each other. Worship, serve. I promise you, if you do these things, with the desire for Jesus' name to be higher and the recognition that it is. Things will, maybe your circumstances won't change, but your perspective upon them will. And if you feel that you've fallen and like, oh, I was doing so well and now I feel rubbish again, get back on it. There's no other way that you're going to find healing than by going to the name of Jesus. There's no other way that you're going to find freedom than by going to the name of Jesus. There's no self-help book that's going to help yourself. Just the name of Jesus. So for those who welcome him now, the name of Jesus means that no matter how dark or dank or cold it gets here and now, however great the loss, however deep the valley, we can know that there is better yet to come. And to those who reject him now, it means that that day will become the pinnacle of our regret and sorrow as we recognize the weight of our actions and the gravity of our decisions and we see the number of opportunities that have been offered to us that we've turned down. Jesus is offering you the opportunity 
to come into his kingdom, to receive him, to, to yield to him as Lord. He's giving you that opportunity. He's giving you that opportunity now. If you in this room get to that point where Jesus bursts through the clouds and every eye will see, if you get to that point and you've constantly pushed him back, that will be a horrible day for you. I'm not trying to bring the tone down here right now. That, that the regrets, the sorrow, that the pain that you would feel there would be unquenchable. And you might well say, well, you never gave me the opportunity. Like, if you'd just shown me yourself, well, let me tell you this, he's showing you himself today, here and now. In this room, you have the opportunity. Jesus loves you. Heavenly Father loves you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be restored. He wants you to be everything that he designed humanity to be. And he wants to begin that work in you. He wants to pour his love into you. He wants to show you what real peace looks like. He wants to lead you in what real freedom is. But you have to yield to him. And I wonder today, maybe... Would you like to take the opportunity to meet with Jesus? If you do, there will be no regret to that decision. Though there may be mountains and valleys ahead, you will know the comfort of a saviour, of a good shepherd, of one who walks closer than a brother in our lives. I promise you, I look back on the day I gave my life to Jesus 25 years ago in about five days' time. I've not regretted a second of knowing Jesus, though I've regretted many of my own actions. I've never regretted meeting Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Andrew's just going to come up and, uh, and lead us as we close.